uh, over this probably past three months at least, uh, my wife Lisa has made a, a dozen trips to Birmingham uh, and back caring for her mom. Uh, recently went under hospice care and recently passed away. And in this last window of time, she was just down there a lot. And we had developed a bit of a routine where she would call me to say, hey, I'm getting on 65 heading north. Uh, you know, I'm leaving at 5. I'll be home at 8. Three-hour drive. Great. And, uh, and then, of course, she would call a little bit later to kind of give me an update along the way. Now, this is probably, I want to I say it's about a month ago. Uh, she called and, and she literally said, hey, I'm getting on 65 Head north, I'll be home at 8. And then when she called later, she said, um, uh, hey, I'll be home sometime, uh, probably it'll be 9 or a little after 9. And in my mind, I thought, well, wait, it's a three-hour drive, left at 5. Be home. And before I could say anything, she said, I got off the interstate, I went to the restroom, I got me something to drink, and I've been driving 20 minutes in the wrong direction. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to get off, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to head north and, and, and be home. How many of y'all have done that? Because she doesn't feel odd. <laughs> Honey, there's hands everywhere. We've all, we've all done that. You had other things on your mind. Um, but I share the story because something similar can happen and often does in the Christian life. With good intention, we can be doing good things. Let me say this. We can be doing very right and godly things. We can be cruising spiritually and with each passing day be moving in the wrong direction. And you say, well, how can you be doing, how can you be giving, serving, evangelizing, leading Bible studies? How can you be doing these things and be moving away from God? Well, I would say this, uh, while it sounds impossible, it's not just possible, I think it's probable for many, if not most, which I think is no doubt why Jesus addresses the very, this, this very issue in the first letter he writes to the seven churches in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It, it's a very sobering letter, as they all are in their own way. But I'll say this, if we've got ears to hear, right, and this ends every letter says, do you have ears to hear? Which means, do you hear it and can you respond? If we do, we find a cornerstone principle, and there's throughout this, these letters, of course, but we find a cornerstone principle that not only ensures we're going in the right direction, okay, but that we're going there not with a sense of duty, but with a great sense of delight. If you've got your Bibles, let's open them to Revelation chapter 2. We're in verses 1 through 7. In each letter, we find a very similar pattern. Uh, we'll take these apart over the next seven weeks. I'm not going to camp on some things in this one that we'll catch in other ones. won't say much about Ephesus here this morning. We've got other things that we will touch upon. But there's a pattern that goes like this. With few, there's some exceptions, but generally it goes like this. Jesus says, this is who I am. This is the first thing he says. And then he says, hey, and this is what you're doing well. But this is what you're doing wrong. Here's how to correct it. And here's the promise for those who overcome. I'll put it in these categories for note takers, kind of get it locked in your mind. We talk about Christ's character. Then there's Christ's commendation. And then there's Christ's exhortation or, or correction, Christ's correction. Then his exhortation and promise. Now you go, I got to say that again. I got to write it down. No, you don't. I'm going to say it every time I hit one of these. Okay. So you'll get it as we go. Our responsibility though, while these letters are written to physical, tangible, local churches, they were real. 
uh, there is application for us today in this two ways. Individually, because it says he who has, he, singular, who has ears to hear. The individual, do you have ears to hear? And then he says, and here's for the church, and there's a corporate application. So our response to these letters is, what's true in my life? What's it saying about my life? And, hey, what's it saying about our community of faith? And will we respond as Jesus invites us? Let's start with Christ's character. Now I'm going to start here in chapter 1, verse 20, because it leads us into contextually what he says in chapter 2. So chapter 1, verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, we get that. There's biblical interpretation right there. He's telling us what he meant by these things. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, and we're just going to take this little verses at a time. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says This. Stop there. We know from chapter 1, verse 20. The stars are angels of the churches. The lampstands are the churches themselves. Angels, the word angelos. It's it's translated messenger in in, in places where it's just a a messenger. It could be a human messenger. But what else do you think of when it it says angels? Do we think of a supernatural being? Well, Well, of course, because it's translated supernatural being in other places. Which is it in this instance? I don't know. We don't. No, definitively. I tell you, we can take some clues, and people differ on this, but every time the word is used in the book of Revelation, guess what it's referring to? A human messenger or to an angelic being? It's referring to an angelic being, and I, I would lean towards it's, it's referring here even to an angelic being over, over this church. Um, but what we do know is he's holding the story so if it, whether it's some believe it's the pastor of the church, the leader of the church, or the angel over the church, and he's holding it, and which hand is he holding it in? Tell me. Does that matter? Yes, it does. Why does it matter? Because it's, it's his arm of strength. It's, it, it's the right hand of authority and power, right? And then when it says that he walks among, if you've got a, you know, a Bible that's got the literal translation of certain phrases, you'll, mine says this, it's literally... He's in the middle of the lampstands. You see, it's not just he's around the fringe. He's in the middle. So not just the hand of power, but his person is very present in his church. And I know this. We go, you know, I said, you know, Jesus is here. And you'd go, yeah, I know. He's, he's, we're, you know we're gathered. He's here. But I think what we know, you know, this is true in everything, doesn't often translate into how we act. In this town, this happens a lot. You know, you're somewhere, you're at a restaurant, you're at a movie, I don't know, you're walking down the streets from Franklin, you're up in Nashville, and you, you got a celebrity sighting. <laughs> there's, oh my gosh, there's, you know, you get a celebrity sighting. What happens when you get the celebrity sighting in the restaurant? You know, there, you, you've seen this, maybe you participate you know, the energy changes at your table. Uh, the body language changes. The air is a little electrified, you know, kind of like that. And, and I, anyway, I, I do that. We all do that. And I'm just, you know, I think about this. Jesus is in the middle of us in a, in a unique way in the church gathering. And we're, all, we're generally quick to say, you know, we're two or more gathered, there's Jesus. And, you know, we're two or more gathered, there's Jesus. Would you pass me the ketchup? He's, it, 
the air doesn't change, so to speak. And, I, and it just was, I'm talking to myself. I thought, man, what if before I walked in these doors, what if I stopped and I read, before I came in, I read Revelation 1, 12 to 20. And I'm not taking away from the casualness of, that we, we do here, but I think it would set my heart in a different place to you know I'm with the people of God and Jesus is present. Christ's character goes on to Christ's commendation. He, he's got something good to say about the church at Ephesus. Follow along in your Bibles, verse 2. I know your deeds. By the way, that word know is a Greek word that's different from, uh, there's a Greek word, gnosko, that means I'm beginning to know, I'm learning. Knowledge is being built up. This is I know completely, fully, nothing else to be known. I know. <laughs> he knows. Your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put yourselves to the, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Go to verse 6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He commends them, and it's a very real commendation. I'm going to give you three categories to put these in. There's others, but let's start here. He says, your deeds, your toil, they are hardworking. You are hardworking. Toil carries the idea of what we think it does. It's actually to work to exhaustion. You've worked, to, you've got calluses. You've worked till you're exhausted. You sweat. You're working so hard. Doing what? Doing the work of the kingdom. I think about, read Ephesians, read Acts. They were, they were meeting and gathering. They were serving one another. They were caring for widows, orphans, and the poor. They were proclaiming Christ locally and globally. You know, they, they were doing the work of the kingdom, and they were hardworking, and they are commended. Secondly, I'm going to use the category of courageous orthodoxy. He commends their courageous orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is Truth, okay? When you say orthodoxy, you're talking about doctrinal uh, truth and teaching. Well, they were courageous in holding it. In the day, uh, the church was growing so rapid, there was a shortage of teachers. Very common. They didn't have enough, those who were trained to, to pass along the oral tradition and to teach what Jesus taught, you know, apostolic teaching. They didn't have enough of them, and so it opened the door for false teachers to come in. And Paul says this to the elders at Ephesians in Acts 20. He says, savage wolves are going to come in when I'm gone. And even those from within you. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to lead the disciples astray. And we see that he's commending them for standing courageously, testing those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You can't teach here. No, you're, you're out of the community of faith. You know, he did that, by the way, for 40 years. From the time Paul said that to them to where they're getting this letter and it's being read to them, it's been 40 years of courageous faithfulness. And I honestly think about this because we're maybe coming up on 20 years of church. I go, oh God, that we might remain courageously faithful to the truth for 40 years. Amazing. Hard work, courageous orthodoxy, and he commends their joyful steadfastness. Twice he commends their perseverance. He says, you've endured, you've not grown weary. Perseverance, uh, Greek word, it's got two parts, hupo, under. Hupo is under. Meno is to remain under. So they were under and they remained under what? Under this suffering and oppression and resistance. Do you remember? I don't remember what grade I'm in. but you, And they probably don't do this now because of the toxicity or something. But we used to put the mercury on your table in science. And you know, you, you remember how you try and push on mercury? What happens when you put your finger on mercury? It, it will not stay under your finger, right? You know, it's actually kind of fun. So this is the exact opposite. You push on it and it stays under the pressure. 
And by the way, it's not a grin and bear it. Oh, this is awful. I can't stand this. Is no, this is grin with glory. That's the idea, hupomeno, of perseverance and endurance. It's that they remained under, think of James, persevering. They remained under while God was producing that which was for their good and his glory. They grinned and smiled. And they did not grow weary. I'm going to tell you something. You couldn't find a better church to join if you were in Ephesus. This afternoon, I will lead an explore class for those who are, you know, visiting fellowship and they want to make it their church home. And can I tell you what I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell them? I'm going to tell them we're like the Ephesians. I, I pray we are. I pray we are hardworking, courageously orthodox, joyfully steadfast. You know, this, is, this is our mission statement and it's a good thing. However... Hmm. They were, in fact, going in the wrong direction. And, of course, the question's on the table, right? What did I say earlier? Are you? Are you doing all kinds of good things, but are you going to? And how about this? Are we, as a community of faith, even with the commendations? Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first Love, this is, this, is, this is hard. This is, you know, it, this is straight at us. You remember the song we sing? Uh, and if our God is for us, then who can be against... You know, that song that we sing, Romans 8, 31, is true. What a great encouragement. How about this? And if our God's against us, whoa, you know, what if our God's against us? Who can stand against him? No one. And here's, I had this against you. Oh, Houston, we have a problem, a big problem. First, first love. First here, speaking of priority. Uh, it's what, becomes, what, what comes before, okay? It's what's most Im- Im- important. I want you to think about it this way, and I think this will kind of help us get at the nuance and what, what we're addressing here and what he's addressing. It's about motivation. You see, it's not about what you do, It's about why do you do that? Think of the Ephesian church, you guys. They're busy as bees. And he says, but what? Why do you do what you do? It's like the one with eyes like fire looks past their hands and looks where? Straight at their heart. Their inward motivation. Which tells us this, y'all. We can work ourselves to exhaustion. We can stand on the truth. And we can joyously bear up and be going 70 miles an hour south when we thought we were going north. First love. First love is that it's that, it's that love that embarrasses everyone except the two people who have it. You ever been in a restaurant? You're trying to eat, but you're a little nauseated by that couple. <laughs> really? Really? You're going to sit that close? Uh, I mean, I, really, you're going to feed her like she's a baby? Oh, my gosh. Come on. You know, it, it's that first love. I don't care. I don't care who else is in the restaurant. Uh, first love in the life of faith, it's that quality of love 
honestly most evident when you, when you first, it could be when you first come to faith, but I'll also say this because many people come to faith as a child and may not be there, but it's, it's also when, you, when, you, when you're first coming to, to, I mean, you can be a Christian for a while, but you're first coming to really, I mean, really know what Jesus did for you. I mean, it's just awakening in your heart what it cost him to save you and redeem you and rescue you from an eternity apart from him. It, it's, it's that affection in you, you see, that's there in, the, in those moments that's awakening in your heart. I said that it's probable, like forsaking first loves, I think it's quite probable, you know, for, for many, if not most. And I, and I say that for two reasons. The first is this. We abandon our first love by doing good things. So see, this is, you don't abandon your first love like this, like, yeah, I just don't like you anymore, Jesus. Now, how do we abandon first love? It's not because we don't believe the Bible. This is, this is crazy. It's because we actually believe the Bible. And the Bible said do it, so I'm going to do it. And the Bible said do it, and I'm going to do it. See, so it, you kind of go down this path of doing uh, you do it because you trust the truth. Ooh, this is, this is kind of sneaky. Well, the second thing, well, why I say it, it can be probable for many of us, is that it's, uh, it's not immediate. It's a very imperceptible progression. And it can go like this. This is the everyman story in a way. It's, it's somewhere along the lines, you, you become awakened to the power and the truth of the gospel, whether as a child or young adult or an, an older person. And, and it's, it's dawning on you the goodness of God that you, were, that you didn't stand a chance because you were dead in sin. And because of nothing in you, our great God sent his son to rescue you. And that just begins to burst in your soul. And, and as it does, you, you begin to live your life in, in, in ways that you're, 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 as we would say, you're giving your life away, but you're giving it away because, because you're just overwhelmed by his love. And someone, you know, comes along and says, hey, would you want to lead a Bible study? And you say, yeah, I'll lead a Bible study. And you help other people grow in their faith and your life, your soul's alive. And you're doing it because you love Jesus. And, and, and you do that for a while. And the Bible study goes along. And, and, and there's just a lot of problems in the Bible study. It's like all these people have these issues and they're not really doing what, you know. And the next thing you know, someone taps your shoulder and says, man, would you, would you consider being a leader at the church, you know. And, and we believe you're eldering. And, and then next thing you know, you're, you're, you're an elder in the church. And now all of a sudden you're like, this church you love, you, you get inside of it and you watch the sausage being made and you go, this is the church. I mean, oh my gosh, you know. And, and, and you go along and it's not, you know, here's the thing. You, you, you continue to do the right things. You know, you continue to, to, to walk with God, but somewhere along the line, and it's just so imperceptible, you find yourself somewhere down here. There was that, but now you find yourself here, and let me tell you what we do. We go to church. I mean, I'm in a small group, and I lead this, I do BSF. I'm going on a mission trip this night. We do these things. But we don't do it out of the affection of first love. Some of you are here today. Yeah, it's okay, but you're here because you go to church. Oh, you have good reason. You might go, no, I'm here because I want my grandkids to see us going to church and to know I want them to go to church one day. Oh, okay, I got it. Or how about this? $675,000 given by many of you. Let me ask you this. When you gave that, whatever amount it was, when you gave it, why'd you give it? See, see this is what matters. 
Jesus didn't look at the check. He looked at the heart. Why'd you give it? I don't, you know, I, 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 why did I give it? Uh, I want to be a good model because uh, uh, it's what we do. Well, I, just, I, want, I want to help. I want, because, because you love Jesus? I mean, is that the first, you see? I did because I love Christ. Why do I love him? Because he loves me. So we get, you see how subtle it can be and you find yourself here? Quick diagnosis, diagnosis tool. Just imagine this in your mind's eye. There's a scale up here and just, just to help us, okay? Just to help us kind of get at our heart. Are the things you do for God done mostly because you have to do it or because you get to do it? Just examine your heart. Think about your own life. I, got, I have to do it or I, I, I get to do it. How about this? Do you find yourself doing right, good things because you should? I should. You know, I should give it. Or because I want to. How much real, just genuine I want to is in there. How about this one? Uh, are you most comfortable, truly, are you most comfortable doing something for God? Just give me something to do, to do for God. Or are you most comfortable just being with God. Or this, and summarizes them all, maybe, or is, is your journey of faith, okay, and I know we're all wired different, you know, don't get too hung up on this, but is, is it really more about activity or is it about affection? You see, if you put these scales up here, you're really getting to, is it, is it, is it, is it the routine and the ritual, is it the activity, or is it, relationship my relationship you see where do you fall now i know this it's both there's both to this right we'll see this even in the text i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but i'm just inviting us to think and maybe in some categories that help us get it where do i lean and the reason is jesus He's, he's not looking so much at our hands as he is our hearts because that's what matters most. Christ's character, his commendation, his correction. Thankfully, we have his exhortation, verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else... I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Let me address the warning first. Okay, this is quite spooky. You have your lampstand removed. Let me say, first of all, no one is losing their salvation here. It's not what this is talking about. The lampstand, what does a lamp do in a dark room? Gives off what? In other words, it illumines. It's a witness, you see. It gives off light. And again, it's not about salvation, but boy, could Jesus remove the, the witness of the church? Absolutely, which tells us this, we have nothing to fear but God himself. I, I take great encouragement that, from this, quite honestly, because I, I worry, you know, I worry about this church, but there's nothing out there that can remove the lampstand. I mean this. There's no legislation, no lawsuit, no uh, cultural tidal wave. No, it's not out there. You know, you know what? You, nothing's going to remove that from his hand. But let me tell you, he, he could open his hand if we don't address what? Our hearts. 
Thank goodness he gives us some very clear instruction. Three things. Remember. Remember. It's in the present tense, so it's like keep on remembering. He's inviting us to use one of the greatest gifts he's given us in, in, in his image. That's to recall and, and, and remember. He says, keep on remembering. Bring to your mind first love life. Think back to the time, the days when, when you know, what you did for Christ, it was just an overflow of, you know, getting back to Dave's message of, a, a few weeks back, you know, when you're filled up with his love, what happens? It starts spilling out. It's, diffu- it's just, it's flowing out. And, and that's what was going on in your life in those days. And, you know, remember those things. Now, I've thought about this all week. And, and, and uh, there's a bit of embarrassment in this, and I'll, I'll say why in a moment. But when I do that, I'm going to tell you, I do go back. I do go back to my days when uh, I had become a Christian. But, but boy, when I really began to grow in my faith uh, at, at the University of Tennessee through, through Campus Crusade for Christ and involvement in that, you know, I just, man, I remember, I just remember being undone by being saved. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know these things. And I remember one night I'm laying in my dorm room bed and it's pitch black. And, and uh, my best friend, Scott Perry's laying in the bed over here. And by the way, Scott's in here this morning somewhere. It's so fun. But he's, he's there. I'm, I'm in my bed. And why do we remember these things? I can't even remember what I did last week or I can't remember other things. But I remember this. I just remember it was so clear to me that Jesus was God's son. And that he died in my place. I was going, I get, I so get that. And so in him, I died. And he rose and I'll rise with him. And my sins are, and I mean, I tell you, I'm just saying this to you. I wept. Just me, but I, it was just so undo, unnerving for me and just so grateful. And I remember in those days, I, I would walk around the campus at UT and I, I, I was lit up with just godness in a sense. And I, would, I, I wanted to be with others who, who walk with Christ. I want to make a difference for Christ. And, you know, there are things I would do that were kind of stupid and goofy. And I'd even believe God for some things that later on someone might say to me, you know, that's not how God works. And I go, I don't care. I, I, you know, you just kind of, I just love him. And, and it, just, it just overflowed in my life. First, it's just my, my, my actions, you see, were just an overflow of affection that I, I felt, quite frankly, from the Lord and what he had done. He invites us to remember. Remember those days. Secondly, he says repent. So repent means a change of direction. Uh, that's the heart and the core of it. Um, it's, not, it's not a change of direction as I'm going this way, I'm going to go this way. So keep this in mind. Repent is a change of direction. I'm going this way. I'm going back in the opposite way. Repent is you're going to Birmingham, honey. Turn around and go north. You know, it's, it's to go in the opposite direction. The verb tense here tells us it's decisive. This is, this is not the battleship is turning. It's, it's, the battleship's going to get going that way in a, in a couple hours. No, it's not. A, it's a decisive choice of the will. I'm turning. It's, you know, the hockey all-star thing's going on now. You guys watch those guys. You ever see you know, when those guys are getting, you know, they're going the opposite way, like in a dime. <laughs> they turn on a dime. That's repentance. There's a decisive act of the will, and you turn. And then thirdly, he says, do the deed you did at first. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Wait a minute. We see here that it's not that first love's just a feeling. You know, there are things we do in our faith. But, we, but it's don't bypass why. That really matters. Uh, the motivation, your, your heart and affections, you see. What, what are some of the first things that we do out of in first love? Excuse me, I think it's very basic. There's no surprise here. You know what? It's read your Bible. Pray. 
do what it says. Um, be with other Christians. Be a part of a community of faith, church. You see what I'm saying? It's the basics we do, but, but it's, it's the why. Why, why. why do we do that? Michael and I uh, said a few words to a group of ladies this week there with the Simeon's Trust seminar that we hosted, and it's a Bible study methods seminar. Some of you may have been there, and there was a group of leaders who would be teaching others, and, and uh, I think on, on Thursday or Friday, we walked up just to pray, pray for them and give a word of greeting, and Michael shared a little bit, and then I, and I shared this because I'm in this passage, and I look at these ladies, they're getting ready to teach people how to study the Bible, and I said, you know, it's, it, it, and this is the embarrassing part of my story earlier is, you know, it says, go back, remember, go back, remember, and uh, it's very convicting for me that I got to go back to college. Y'all, it's over 35 years ago. I got to go back that far. Now, there have been other seasons in my life, but, but it's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant one for me. And I don't want to just throw the baby out with bathwater and go, well, it's, it's only that, that time. No, you come and go. Michael and I talked about this. You kind of come and go with that in our Christian life. But I told them, I said, I was reflecting on, on, on what my heart's affections were like in those days. And what was I doing that would create some of that and enable some of that? And I said, I will tell you, I remember when someone taught me how to read and study my Bible for the first time. See, I didn't grow up knowing. I didn't know what the thing was. And I remember, man, I'd read it. And, 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 and it's like I would study it, and I was learning these principles of study, and, and it's like, oh, my gosh, that's what it says. That's what it means. You know, and I was lit up. I mean that. It... it stirred my heart's affections and I did it because I loved him and I was telling these ladies you know I'm studying right now I'll put in a bunch of hours on this message you know why not totally true but it is a lot true because it's my job because I get paid to do this (laughs) and it's convicting for me oh lord how about how about first love study of the bible the character of Christ, the commendation, the correction, the exhortation, and then the promise. Very quickly, verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Just this very quickly. Um, he who overcomes. And this will be true, and I, I believe this, this is true as this goes through, because he'll always say he who overcomes. Men and women, it's not, we're not talking about the green berets here. I'm not talking about the small percentage of you who are really going to get this. this is, I'm talking about if you are in Christ, if you've trusted Christ for your salvation, you trust him now, then you're in Christ. First John 5, Christ overcomes, and in him we overcome. So, so this is for all, you see, who are in Christ. And what will we do for all who are in Christ? Oh my gosh, we have access to the tree of life. In Genesis, the access was cut off, right? They disobeyed. Flaming sword, can't go here, can't get there here. Cross, the sword strikes Christ. He died in our place. And guess what? We have to look forward to the promise. Paradise, yes. It's a Persian word that meant a park, actually. It's not a bad idea. It's a park. You know, we get good thoughts to think of a park. And the tree of life Life with God forever. It's ours. Why? Because of something we did? Because we overcame? Because Jesus did for us. Okay. The Ephesians certainly knew how to break a sweat. But it seems they rarely, if ever, shed an affectionate tear. 
I've tried to summarize this in one sentence. There's other ways to say it, but I'll say it this way. The message, the letter to the Ephesians, I think, is activity without affection is anathema to the Lord. You know what anathema means? And I didn't pick that just because it starts with an A, which was nice, but uh, it means uh, disgust, put off by. I do think it's the right word in light of his words. Activity without affection, motivation, the right motivation, is anathema to the Lord. I'm going to give us time to heed these words. Remember in the first chapter it says, he who reads... He who hears, he who heeds the words. We'll take a moment to do that. I'm going to invite the band to come out because we're going to sing as we conclude. And I want to ask, walk you through a little application right now. Put your Bibles down. Just sit with me for a moment. Let me ask you to think. Spirit-led thinking. I want you right now to remember. Why don't you just remember for a moment? Go back. Maybe you're there now, which is wonderful, being your present, that that first love, when what you did for God, it was just that overflow of, of, of his love for you, when you're just becoming unraveled by his great love for you, and your walk with him reflected that. Not that you weren't busy and didn't do things, but the motivation was love, love of God, not to do something for God. Would you think about that time in your life? And if you're not there right now, it's not for everybody, but if you're not there, I want to invite you to repent. You can turn right now. Y'all, you don't have to do this later in the week. We can do it right now if the Spirit leads. You turn and you tell Him. And then I'm going to invite you to do the deeds you did at first. And certainly that's the things I mentioned earlier, from reading your Bible to pray to, to doing those out of love. But I'm going, have, I'm, going have, I'm going to put a little twist on this, and I hope it helps us a bit. I'm going to ask you to think about what stirs your affection for Christ. What activity, just there are things that stir dif- different, of, different ones of us, our affections. And, and uh, I just want you to think about this, consider it. But like, for example, I'm going to give you some examples. Like for me, and there's just a few in the room that will get this, but, but I'm going to tell you, you know, Sitting in a tree stand stirs my affections for Christ. Uh, A slow walk in the woods can stir my affections for Christ. Uh, Being in a graveyard, and quite frankly, most recently, to visit my parents' gravestones, it stirs my affections for Christ. There are movies that stir my affections. I think, you know, Summersby, I don't know if anybody ever saw that or returned to me. Just these stories of, of the human condition and the, and, the, and the turn of redemption stirs my affection for Christ. A good book can stir my affection for 
Christ. Maybe art. You know, I, I, I mean this. I'm not saying it's going to be my best friends, but boy, the first time I saw a David Arms painting, that's not everybody doesn't live everybody's paintings, but, and I understood what it was saying in that painting. It stirred my affection for Christ. I don't know if you've ever been in his gallery, but it can, it can you know, or go to a different gallery, whatever. It stir your affection for Christ. And even music. How about a song that, that reminds us and tells this redemptive story, and it can stir your affection for Christ. What I'm asking you to consider, I'm going to do this, and I'll ask you to consider. Sometime this week, do one of them. Just do that which stirs your affection for Christ. Uh, we're going to sing a song right now, and uh, it's a new song. John Walverd writes in his excellent commentary, love for God is not wrought by legalistically observing commands, very important, but by responding to one's knowledge and appreciation of God's love. That's what we're going to do in a song. You know, you may sing these words and go, well, I don't really mean it yet. That's okay. David, David said, said to his soul, <laughs> David talked to his soul, so just consider this soul talk. You're talking to your soul. But we're responding to our knowledge and appreciation of God's love. I've asked Lindsay to sing it over us, so remain seated, okay, as she sings the chorus over us. And then when she and Brianna invite us to sing, I'm going to ask you to stand and join the song, which reminds us that old things have passed away because of Jesus, that God's love always remains the same, that his grace is our cornerstone, that what was dead lives, that where there was darkness, his light shines.